This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Forever. When your first choice is a big old bus You turn around and boom You end up with us Friday! Our number is 213-536-9180. Our email is sloppysecondspod at gmail.com. And now on with the show! Are you ready for some sloppy seconds, you stupid little fucks, you nasty little fucks, you dirty little fucks, you, oh, you so horny. You're all at home and you're alone and you're horny. Hi, I'm Meatball and that's Big Dipper. And welcome back to Sloppy Seconds with Big Dipper and Meatball. Hi, everyone. Um, I'll just read this because we just read it, but I might as well do it while we're recording. Uh, this is a review that we received under oh, no. uh, now. Now their uh, forever dog uh, is posting all of our audio also on YouTube. So if you hate podcast apps or don't want to use your phone, you can listen to full episodes on YouTube. And this was a comment that says, horrible. This podcast is the reason we all have so many STDs in the gay community. Thoughts? I, I would like to say that I'm proud of that. I wish we had more STDs. I wish we had more STDs to go around. I don't know how we're the reason that there's a spike in STDs, but I'm glad that we are being blamed. Um, right. Here's a review that I saw on our actual <laughs> reviews. Uh-huh. Um, don't, and I'm not asking you guys to do this because we need we have a five-star rating, so please leave it at five stars. But this person gave us one star, and it says, Meatball just makes it so hard to listen. <laughs> I'm not arguing. Uh, I'm not no, arguing I'm just with kidding. that either. I mean, I'm surprised so many of you do listen. But thank Here's you. Here's what people can do, Meatball. They can give it a five-star review, but then be shady in the comments. Because they don't. there's no numerical rating on the comment. Oh, that's true. Yeah, be mean to us. <laughs> not be mean to us. Don't you feel like this past week has just been exhausting? I don't know just- what's what. I don't know what's true. I feel like everyone around me is lying to me. Uh-huh. I don't, I just, okay, for, I don't want to talk about the president. I don't really care. I mean, I'm sorry that he has COVID, but it doesn't Why? seem, well, I, I guess I'm technically not sorry, and I, but I don't want to be like, I wish he was dead. I just don't understand what the fuck is going on over there. To me, there's sub, such hypocrisy, and I want to talk to our guest about this, but such yes, hypocrisy in the idea that when the president is able-bodied and healthy and literally being a terrorist in this country, we're all like, fuck that guy, he should die. And then the moment he may or may not, depending on how you see it, be ill, we're like, well, we wish him the best and the fullest recovery. What? So then we can tear him down again? I don't wish him full recovery, but here's the problem. Okay, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but if he does have COVID, then why isn't he quarantining? He's not. Everyone's saying that they have COVID, but he's just walking around being like, we've we've created amazing drugs. I've taken three different fucking forms of these (laughs) different drugs. My antibodies is crazy. I can barely, like, I just don't get it. I don't understand what's going to happen. 
happen. And this whole thing happening right now so close to the election is he's going to get so many sympathy votes like fucking Boris Johnson did over in the UK. It's like he's following that format and it's making me so upset and I don't want to talk about it. But let's talk about Would Halloween because say- maybe it's coming up. Well, quickly to put a button on this, would you say that this COVID news story about the president is a smash or trash? I think it's trash, but I do think it's smashing all the other stories. Let's not forget about his taxes. And let's not forget about all of his goddamn followers who, like, won't talk about his taxes or are saying that, like, he's great and COVID's still not real. And it's like, the man won't even wear a mask. I'm mad! Yeah. Listen, I think uh, we would be doing our audience a disservice if uh, we got into any more of this without bringing in our guests. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Black. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. When my fridge is stocked with Factor meals, I'm like... Oh, baby, I don't have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so nice. The combinations are so good. I am a meat eater, but the vegetable options, there are so many. Like, I remember I had like a, it was like a mushroom with pasta and like a cauliflower rice. And I was like, the mushroom is filling. Like, there's plenty of uh, portion, there's plenty of vegetable, and there's plenty of flavor. And I am usually sort of not a microwave person. Mm-hmm. Very cool that this quality of food can just be heated up in the microwave. And so fast. I also love it because I am a, a very much into ordering delivery. I and know. now having all the food there, I can kind of ma- pick what I want and it's ready in two minutes. And I don't have to wait an hour for stuff to get delivered. And these are way healthier options than ordering delivery. Completely. And when they have multiple things in them, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if I cook for myself, all I'm going to eat is the biggest bowl of pasta you've ever seen in your life. But this is oh, yeah. like, you get a little pasta and the chicken and a vegetable all in one dish. Looking for gourmet meals try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp truffle butter broccolini and asparagus and factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping cooking or cleaning up all you got to do is heat up and savor the good stuff customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need pause to reschedule deliveries that suit your lifestyle and we're celebrating earth day all month long with factor look out for the earth month eats badge on the menu items for their lowest carbon footprint meals head to factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 and use code sloppy seconds 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code sloppy seconds 50 at factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's a sleigh, baby. Okay, we are I back. I hope you guys and- like that commercial break. I know we've been really <laughs> working it hard. Did you know that if you don't want to listen to the commercials, you could sign up for Forever Dog Premium for $4.99 a month and you you'll can. get 10% ten- ten- off Forever Dog Plus. Anyway, today we have a journalist <laughs> with integrity, a Twitter mess. 
No, you have and, to read. You have to read how I wrote it because otherwise it just sounds rude. Okay, today our guest is where journalistic integrity and Twitter mess meet. It's Evan Ross Katz. Yeah, but I liked mine too. He's. I feel like he has journalistic integrity and just happens to be a mess on Twitter. <laughs> Hi, Evan. Hi. <laughs> Listen, I just appreciate being thought about, so I don't mind the manner in which I'm thought about, so long as I'm thought about. <laughs> well, see, I was saying, I don't think you're a mess on Twitter. I think you insert yourself into Twitter mess with really sort of biting and fun commentary. So that's why I, w- I wrote it that way, Paul. Thank you. Yes, I just um, yeah. I have a fascination with mess. But I myself yeah. am not creating the mess. It's more like the mess is there, and I'm just instigating in terms of like, how can I make this mess messier? And oftentimes it's just a simple photo, and I yeah. love that. <laughs> it's like it's like where other people in their homes, when they see the mess, they just like close the door to the spare room. You like open it up and go rifling through. Oh yeah, I like turn the Christmas lights on in the house, and I'm like, wait a minute, like let's light this up. <laughs> you're like, so have you always? Like... Oh, oh, you want to do more piling on? <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Ask your question. Have you? <laughs> when did you first get into like the whole idea of being a journalist? <laughs> the whole idea of it. Um, you wow. know, like I, I never really had like that wasn't like an aspiration of mine so much. But I guess I noticed early on in like my early days of engaging on social media how much like inaccurate information would fly around, and obviously like. We live in a world of inaccuracies at the moment, but, you know, take us back a few years before sort of misinformation was so normalized, especially when it came to like pop culture or fashion. I remember I would just see like small things, like something that was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer premiered in 1998. And then I would just be like, no, no, it didn't. Um, (laughs) And so it started with sort of like wanting to correct misinformation. And then over time, I just was like, okay, I have the things that I know really well, like The View, like The Real Housewives, like Drag Race. And it was like, I was, I kind of use social media um, to present like factoids and stuff. And then somehow I landed into a space of journalism. You didn't go to school for journalism. You didn't like always want to be a writer. No, I went to New York university for theater directing. I wanted to be a director. Wait a minute. What year were you there? What year were you there? I graduated in 2011. Oh, we can bleep that out. No, we were not there at the same time. (laughs) Uh, so what is your current obsession right now? Like, what are you very into? Um, right now, I have to say I'm very, very into Survivor. That has kind of, like, become my quarantine oh, show. Um, sure. I just saw, like, a lot of discourse about it on Twitter for a long time. And they were like, you know how you have those people who you kind of, like, trust their taste? Like, no yes. matter what it is. And there were enough of those kind of people that would be talking about Survivor on Twitter that I was like, okay, let me check this out. Um, I'm now 16 seasons deep since the quarantine uh, began. Wow. And uh, I can just say it is a better show than Drag Race. It truly wow. is. Wow. Yeah. I, okay, so a couple things. One, I feel like you are that kind of person for me. Like when I see you tweet about something or comment something, I'm like, yes, well, I, I I understand that his perspective is sort of like put together and I buy whatever you're selling. So I always sort of pay attention to what you, you put on Twitter. And two, I remember Survivor being incredible. I think I I watched the first season, like, because it was such an event, you know, and Richard Hatch and all of that stuff. But I haven't watched it in so long. I'm impressed that you got 16 seasons in because I've done a couple 
quarantine binges, but they've also been on shows that I watch. Like I, I, we talked about this, but I've I, I rewatched all of True Blood, mm. and it gets like so bad very quickly. And oh, wow. now I've just been rewatching Girlfriends, and Girlfriends is great, but it's also so cringy because it's so heteronormative and every single joke that the character William makes is about he wants to see two lesbian women making out it's like it's like you look back on you're like this is such like why am I not married by the time I'm 30 why is my life mean nothing if I you know am not rich and like just straight male jokes the whole time which is just mind-boggling I vaguely remember that show just being about like getting men and going on dates and talking about men and like that was the whole concept yeah, have you heard of a show called Sex in the City? Same thing. <laughs> heard of it, heard of it. I think the thing with Survivor is that um, even though a lot of people were like, oh, watch, you know, season seven and then skip to blah, blah, blah. Again, going back to the journalism thing, the sort of like inherent historian in me is such right. where it's like, I just can't skip a season because I feel like I'm removing critical context. Mm-hmm. So even though I have watched entire seasons that I think were trash, I still would rather have watched the bad seasons to then understand like the superiority of the good seasons as opposed to only watching a best of. I kind of like having an encyclopedic knowledge of something. That reminds me because everyone is talking about Big Brother right now. And I remember watching it years ago, like back at the very beginning and we're just kind of being like, all right, I get the gist of it. But now everyone's like, they're bringing back old people and they're talking about old game and new game and like how to like play it. And now I'm like actually interested in maybe possibly watching it. But I mean, there's 22 seasons. Yeah, Big Brother, see, it's so funny, I'm going to go against what I just said. Big Brother, I think you can kind of do, like, the best of moments, because, (laughs) and I say this because Big Brother, it's like, it's just regular, like, the circumstance isn't that crazy. They're living in a house, they have all of, like, food provided for them, they have an outdoor area, it's, like, very easy living, Mm -hmm. whereas with Survivor, it's, like, on top of the drama of, like, the characters in the game, there's just the fact that they're literally living in the middle of nowhere with no food and no shelter, so I think there's just built-in inherent interest in the in the construct of Survivor that with Big Brother, I'm like, there. I would say half the population li- living in the Big Brother house would be an upgrade from their regular life. Oh, More than sure. half the population. So it's right. not really like testing them in any sense besides like those weird like challenges and such. I would say that's like a little bit more like there's like more like gameplay and stuff with Big Brother, which isn't so much my Josh. I kind of am much more of like the, I'm into the psychology of the players on Survivor. The gameplay is like secondary to me. What kind of a player do you think you would be? Oh my God. You know, I've been thinking about this lately. <laughs> I think that I would have a pretty good social game. However, I just finished a season where there was like a gay winner, season 15, China. And he was like very like strategic and manipulative. And I would be a little bit worried about, and I'm not saying I think I'm so smart, but I do think I'm smart just in the continuum of of survivor contestants. So take that with a grain of salt. But um, (laughs) I would be nervous that being so strategic, like I would come across as like, just a little too much of a mastermind, even though I was just trying to play smart. Um, I think it would kind of seem like I was scheming a lot just because like, you know, gay men 
we're schemers by trade. Yeah. We're schemers, we're scammers, we walk Scammers fast. and <laughs> iced coffee, right? <laughs> that, yeah. That's the list? Yeah. Wait, Meatball, what kind of a player would you be? Oh, my God. Uh, not a good one. I would <laughs> be, be off I the would island be... first. No, I, well, as you know, I am an Eagle Scout, so I do know my way around a little wait, fire. Wait, 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 wait. You're an I, Eagle Scout? Yeah, baby. Technically one of the youngest in Texas to get it. Me and my brother got it at the same time. <laughs> I got my Eagle Scout when I was, before I went into high school, like before I turned 16. So yes, I can do shit, but um, I don't think I'd want to be there. I would like want my cell phone, but the type of game I would play, all social. It would be like, if we live in this tent together, maybe you'll bring me this and then I'll talk at night. I'll stay up late. Make sure there's no spiders. Mm. It's important. That's a, it's a weird gameplay. I, I I feel like the only way it's I would know how It's about surviving and just making sure that everyone <laughs> likes you. Things I'm good at. Yeah, that's true. I feel like the only way I would know how to play is like honest. Like I don't know that I would be able to tap into like. <laughs> you would scheme and scam just like you do every time we're anywhere with anybody. You think I'm a scammer? I think you a schemer and a scammer. So Evan, let's talk about. I I also love that you called it New York University because I feel like everyone says NYU. NYU. Mm. Very. Yeah, interesting. Well, I for a moment I was like, "What school is that?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's literally NYU." Yeah. Um, do you like miss like if you went to school for theater directing? That means you probably were doing that for a while, or did you literally just start into journalism? You know, I had this moment like I think it occurred around like my junior or senior year when I was kind of like everyone is making theater and no one is seeing theater. Like that was the world around Mm. me at the time, just because, you know, I remember early on, like when I was younger and my brother would be like, we went to see a production of Rent and my brother was like, why are they bursting into song? And I've always been of the mindset where like, yeah. And it's like, (laughs) if you don't buy into the concept, like the conceit of musical theater, like if you can't get past the bursting into song, you will never like it. It will never Mm -hmm. work for you. And I'm one of those people where like the air quotes art I make, I always wanted it to be, I wanted it to communicate to people that like didn't necessarily have the same um, vantage point or ideology or views that I have. And so that made theater, the inaccessibility of theater, and this isn't even getting into like the lack of uh, diversity within theater, within theater audiences, within theater. I mean, that's a, that's a whole separate conversation and the economics <laughs> of how much theater costs. Anyway, right. it just felt like there was such a barrier to make it And then there was such an excess of people making it, fashion and journalism, it just, that immediately appealed to me because I felt like I had much more, I could be, play a more pivotal role than just being another white faggot making theater in New York. Mm -hmm. Right. Meatball, you, because you studied acting. Yes. But didn't, I mean, did you want to be in like plays and theater or was it always a goal to be like TV? No, I think it was the same thing. I knew, because I went to high school for performing arts. Like, I left home to, like, go study theater. But there's something about wanting to act when you're younger that you, like, I didn't realize, and this is going to get so personal, I didn't realize that as a person of color, I I already had, like, a strike against me. Like, I just wasn't going to get jobs. And then Mm. um, being, I don't know, gay and, like, being openly gay, that's another strike against you. So, like, I slowly started to realize, like, oh, no one's going to take me seriously. I'm not getting these roles that I'm, I could actually act in because they're going to give it to the white guy who is straight. So I kind of started making my own stuff and then ended up, you know, doing stand up comedy because then it's just me. 
And then I right. get drag because I get to create the whole fantasy and like put on little plays in my head. Wait, remind me, who did you play in the Diary of Anne Frank? <laughs> I did now, but that was in high school or in junior high, and I did play the black gay Jew, uh, Doctor Dusel, Mister Dusel, Mister Dusel. He and now I know historically he was black and gay, so I think that that was a pretty good interpretation. Now don't look at. Now, don't go into researching it, Evan. I don't need you to look up any of those facts. No fact check. No fact check on that. One of my favorite, one of the first things that I started seeing you doing was um, posting uh, red carpet events and like the outfits that people were wearing. And I remember one specific year, one designer was like super homophobic or whatever. And you were calling out all the people who were still wearing his Mm. gowns and stuff. And that was, I thought that was bold because you were basically saying like, this is a bad person. Do you? Yeah, I'll name names. So yeah, uh, that's uh, Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana. Some people know them as Dolce Gabbana. <laughs> yeah, they would be making you know. Have they? A choice. Do, have they ever apologized or said anything at yeah. all about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have apologized in various forms, and I definitely like think that it should be noted that like there is a little bit of a translation issue when it comes to them, just because I don't always know if like what they're being quoted as saying is necessarily what was in their heart. Not that I want to give that like too much credence, but like, I do think there is that yes, they have addressed past things that they've done. But the problem for me with them is that they continue to step in it. So it's Mm, not as though there's like one inciting incident and then we're just like constantly wringing their necks about it. It's the continuation of it. And just some of their comments, particularly like, I mean, there's so many I could go through, but like the body shaming of women. Yeah. That, Wasn't like, there anti-gay stuff too? And yes, like blackface? Uh, or was blackface, that someone else? No, they did release slave sandals in 2014. Mm, <laughs> um, but yeah, so they just they sort of continue to act boo-boo the fool. And there's not <laughs> there was like a reckoning in 2018 um when they like kind of disappeared from the carpet and whatnot. And then beginning last year it's like it started to have this resurgence and this is the part of me that kind of like goes out of like the journalism space and kind of just like I was like it just made me angry I was like Mm -hmm. these people do not deserve to be platformed when there are so many young creative designers who deserve to be platformed and I kind of have this thing where it's like when I put my uh, boot on your neck it's like it's not it's gonna stay there and with them I just was like I don't want to I don't want to give them a pass. And so nowadays I can, t- if I see someone in Dolce & Gabbana and I don't, it's, I'm not calling out the person. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. I think often the celebrity themselves don't know. I do think the stylists do, but I just was like, I want to make sure that that's something that I stay on because I believe in accountability. Right. I love well, that. I think it's a really interesting sort of thing to talk about. Like I have, I, I have a few questions that I'm so I'm fascinated by like being a journalistic figure because there's and a also little, like a gay icon. Yeah. There's a little bit of like, there's gatekeeping that you do. And I understand that like, you're the first gate before the editors and before the publisher, you know, it's like, there's a lot of other things, but I'm sure people are constantly, especially because you are an accessible person on social media and on Twitter where people are going like, Hey, can you write about this? Hey, can you cover me? Hey, can you this? Then you, you, as like a journalist, there's like a factual thing as like an opinion writer, or like if you, if you find a story and you want to editorialize, there's whatever you're interested in. And then there's that whole other world where on Twitter, you're just going like, don't wear that, you know, like 
this person is wearing the wrong designer, this person, and you get to just be yourself and sort of pop off. And so it seems like you have to navigate so many lanes. And then also you have this like responsibility to like, you are also in a position to like platform people if you want to cover them or talk about them. Yeah. I think a lot of it to, to what your point is, it's like, I have to think about sort of like who the audience is in any given moment. So like I freelance for a bunch of different places, two of them being Oprah magazine and Rolling Stone. So like my tone (laughs) with Oprah magazine versus Rolling Stone is not going to be the same. So like I do a lot of, I write about the real housewives a lot for Oprah magazine. I'm not going to talk about Real Housewives with like the colloquial feel that I would on Twitter because when I write for Oprah Magazine, I'm I'm thinking about I'm having to explain a lot more things that to me are just ingrained knowledge of Housewives. Mm-hmm. I'm having to talk to an audience who doesn't necessarily have the references, so I constantly need to be thinking about my audience and then like changing not just my tone but even just sort of like how much exposition goes into what I'm saying based off of the platform and so I think Twitter is is really fun for me because you know there are pockets of Twitter so whether it be like Drag Race or Housewives and you can sort of tweet to that group of people like the tweets are 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 um for them essentially whereas like when I'm doing actual air quotes journalism I can't, I have to make sure that I'm speaking to a much wider audience. I would say that like there are times like I have a paper, a column in paper magazine. If I were like, I can, I can run my mouth about Dolce and Gabbana in that column because the reader is coming for my POV, but it's really important to like always check the fact that like, it's a privilege to be able to have a point of view that another, that a publication is willing to put their masthead above Right. So one thing I think I've learned, and this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm always learning this. I think learning is something that like is it's, it's an evolution. Right. But right. I try not to step into conversations that I don't fully know what I'm talking about. And that happened um, with me last year when it comes to like talking about Kanye West as a fixture within the fashion world, because mm-hmm. I really found that I don't know Kanye's full oeuvre as it exists within fashion. He's not someone that I've studied or really have strong feelings about in the fashion space. And so I realized it's like what I can do to your point about platforming is I can retweet people that I know know Kanye's work really well and like mm-hmm. and, and engage with the subject matter in that way without having to be like, here's Evan's take. Because I think yeah. um, the people who I admire the most know when to speak up, but also know when to shut up. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you because we were talking about housewives for a second. How do you feel about Dorinda leaving or being asked to leave? You know, I feel two ways about it. I think that it's, I think it's necessary on the Mm -hmm. one hand, but I think like, I don't know how the show rebounds from the loss of such a great character, but I also just feel like she was kind of owed a redemption arc. It makes me think a lot about like all stars um, on drag race and how so often, (laughs) like the reason why a a person comes back to do all stars is less about like the crown and more about like the redemption arc. Like you saw me one way on this season. And so I'm going to give you, this is me now. This is 2.0 or this is like the side of me you didn't previously see. I feel like in the case of Dorinda, it's like she's owed that all-stars arc now because it's like she had this horrible off-the-rails season. And yeah. I think with time to inflect, she's owed a season where it's like, think about Luann. She had like I was going to say, but do you think she's going to do a Luann? 
I don't think she's going to be given the opportunity. Oh, no. Yeah, and I I think it's dark. I mean, like, I think that it's difficult when you have someone going to that place on television, and there's a lot of judgment that viewers place on things when they don't fully know everything. Yeah. When alcohol is involved, people tend to make a lot of assumptions. Honey, Dorinda is walking alcohol. (laughs) She's 75%. Um, yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think that like I feel strongly about the fact Dorinda is a good woman. I would let her babysit my kids. I would let her stay in the guest bedroom. Like I, I feel a certain type of way about a Dorinda that is not commonplace for me with a reality fixture. So at the end of the day, it's like, what I don't know who's quoted is I want you to win. Someone says that, but like I want Dorinda to win. And so yeah. if be, I, it's like I think that Housewives will be worse off without her, um, and I hope that she will be better off without housewives. Hmm. Okay, now really quick, what about Nene though? What about Nene coming for Andy <laughs> and Wendy Williams? That's all I want to talk about. She's a bitch. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's dark. It was, I... it was aggressive, but I like that she did it because frankly, I think it's time for Nene to leave the show. You can't, she's pulling almost like an Erica Jane where she's like on cast, but she's not there for a bunch of it. And I'm like, listen, if you're going to be in the title credits, then be there for every episode like the rest of these women. Completely. I think the thing with Nini is that, that I think a lot of uh, fans need to remember because I do think there's a lot of sort of like um, racism in how a lot of the white fans talk about Nini specifically. Mm. And the one thing I would say is like, I completely agree with you. I think she, her, she left the party too late. I think it's important though to remember like all that Nini did in seasons one through five specifically. And it's like in a lot of ways, like this is the house that Nini Leaks built. And I do think that there is some respect that it and I'm not saying you're not respecting her. I'm saying, but I think that there is some respect owed to her I legacy. Don't. And so that's sort of like my, I think that she went out in the worst way possible and I don't really know what her end game is, but I also like, I don't necessarily feel the same way like I did with Dorinda. Like, I don't know if Nini is the good woman, but like, I think Nini is owed something that I'm not sure she's going to get and maybe by her own doing, but like, I kind of want the best for Nini. I want the best for Nini, but like I know the best for Nini is maybe. And I, Wendy was saying that she couldn't have her own reality show, but I was like, Nini could have her own reality show if Nini moved to Hollywood. I feel like I would watch that. You don't I think Nini could care? But I would turn it on and I would go in the other room and I would have it wow. on for the viewers. You wow. know, to get a little bit of viewers. Wow. Wow. You, wow. Heard, you heard it here first. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of racism towards Nini, because I was like. I, you are a big fan of Drag Race, and you've interviewed a lot of the Drag Race contestants. It's incredible. What do you think about the racism and the fandom of Drag Race? I know it's like a huge topic right now. Yeah, I mean, it continues to be a huge topic, which sort of tells you a lot about the fandom. Um, I am heartened to see so many queens of color that feel compelled to come forward and share their stories, particularly ones that include so much vulnerability. Like I know recently in the case of Widow Von Du, coming forward mm-hmm. and sort of speaking to the toll this has taken on her spirit, experiencing all of this. Um, and I know like, I mean, I remember even, I used to work at Logo, so I worked on season seven of Drag Race and I remember everything that was going on with the death threats with Jasmine Masters at the time. And I remember that sort of being, not to say there wasn't racism in the fandom before then, of course it existed, but Mm -hmm. I really feel like there was an inflection point with the Jasmine Masters death threats. And also, if you remember, that was Rue's first time speaking up in defense of a queen on the show. I would say I am glad to see 
World of Wonder and Drag Race take on more of a responsibility. I know there's the argument too little too late, and I certainly lend credence to that. But ultimately, I think that I celebrate this show for platforming so many phenomenal queens of color mm-hmm. and um, so many winners among them and so many uh, artists that can use the show as a springboard to do to go on and create this, you know, entire career path all, you know, started by the show. I don't want to give it that much credit. All platformed. I love I'm really into this word platform. I love platformed now. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's such like, like looking at someone like Shea Coulee who just like appears on the cover of Out Magazine is in the Rihanna Savage Fenty fashion show. Like, what did we think about Gigi Good's walk? You know, we'll get back to it. (laughs) We can get back to it. <laughs> we no, were we'll on a video call yesterday and you were like, yeah, and Gigi good. And then you just bounced. You just, But that's how Gigi always walks. It's her stylized. I'm not coming for her. I'm a Barbie doll walk. We'll watch it again. Anyway, <laughs> continue on with what you were saying. I was just saying like, like and, and Shay is a person who has experienced death threats, who has experienced racism, who has experienced all the comments. And I I saw something, I mean, this is, (laughs) this is the narrative in 2020. I saw something on Instagram that's, you know, it's like, it's really hard to sort of like credit, 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 but it was a conversation about like, we need to stop talking about um, the resilience of people of color and start talking more about all of the trauma that causes people of color to need to be resilient. And, and I think the Shea Coulee narrative is a narrative where like she has dealt with all this stuff. She's talked about it in interviews, but she has to navigate everything and push it to the side and then have laser focus on this career. And yes, she used the platform of drag race, but she's done such amazing work. And it it is such a shame that all of these amazing, talented artists have to jump this huge hurdle just to sort of try, try to follow their dreams and follow their art, you know, when it doesn't happen for the white Queens at all. No, they're yeah, just handed and things. It, yeah. It's really sad to see two, a lot of like who I think are some of the most talented queens ever on the show. For instance, like Adita Ritz or Trinity K. Yes. Bonet, who are sort of deserved more, excuse me, who deserve more or are deserved more um, and aren't given it. And I, and I, I, I don't know who we like lay the blame into on that, but it's like, I guess I do get frustrated when I see these cast lists come around for the all-star seasons. And I see a lot of these queens of the past, particularly queens of color who would benefit so much from the reintroduction to the drag race audience that aren't given that opportunity. So always with the mind towards like, how can we do better? I would be really excited to sort of see those queens among countless others kind of given the opportunity to show off their art form all these years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a question about, okay, so you have a podcast. It's called Shut Up, Evan. Um, and you've done what? One and a half season? Two season? One season. Yeah, one we've done season? one. We're currently at the beginning of season two. Ooh. Oh, okay. um, and I, I think this is so really interesting. So, and I, I'm fascinated about this journalism, but like, position because as like an artist, I've been making music for a long time. I make music videos. You make music? Right. Yeah. Did you know that, Meatball? Nope. <laughs> I write press releases. I reach out to people. I go, hey, can you please cover that? You know, like I, I, I participate in that side of the hustle too. So I understand that like, 
you know, you book guests and you have really like connected, great conversations. I was just listening to the interview you did with Katya. It's like, it seems like a genuine connection. But then is, do you ever feel this like weird push and pull of like, well, I want you so that like my show gets views or my article gets a lot of shares. Mm. But also if you let me interview you, then you're going to have an article in Oprah magazine or whatever, you know, Rolling Stone. And then like, it, does it feel like it's, it's the give mutually beneficial or using one another? Or how do you feel? I'm so curious about that. That's such an interesting topic. I'm so glad you like bring something like that up. Cause I think it is <coughs> tricky, especially when, you know, we just had Olivia Wilde on the season two premiere yeah. and Gag. we had an hour of her time and she did the podcast for free. And I kept thinking after the fact, I was like, she's doing me a huge favor. I got an hour with Olivia Wilde, which like you can't even buy that. But if you could, it would cost a lot of money. Right. And <laughs> and someone was asking me just today. They want to have I, I'm going to maybe I shouldn't. Well, but someone was asking you know, we we can believe it. They wanted we love to, have, to bleep. They wanted to have on their podcast ah! and <laughs> sent them back a fee for hair and makeup to appear on Zoom. And I was thinking about it and they were like, do you think that's ethical? And on the one hand, I was like, well, no, I don't think it's ethical to pay for interviews. But on the other hand, I was like, well, this is a really unique circumstance in that they you you're going your likeness is going to be put out in the world. You want to look your best. You might not have the capability of making yourself look your best and will will need to outsource it. And so it's an interesting question, like the give and take of like who's doing who a favor. In the case of Katya, it's like she's doing me a favor, whether we want to be explicit about it or not. Mm-hmm. And I chose to be in the episode just mm-hmm. because it's like you being on my podcast is going to bring new listeners into the fold here. So the way I think about it sort of in my preparation process before the interview is like, how can I make sure? And I always tell the guests this before we go on mic, which is that like, if you don't get anything out of this, that I didn't do my job well. So my task then becomes in recognizing that Katya is doing me a big favor. It's like, how best can I prepare this interview and prepare the space I'm trying to create so that Katya can come away from it feeling like it was either mutually beneficial at best or if nothing else that she got had a good time she enjoyed herself during the process but yeah i mean i think it would be like i'd be lying the fact that like yes i'm booking the biggest guests i can get and i'm booing off of their star power as much as i can i don't have i have my platform sure but like having a guest like olivia wilde come on and getting headlines in People Magazine and Entertainment Weekly because she talked about Spider-Woman, I, you can't buy that kind of press. And so, right. yes, that was really important to me. And I knew that, like, I knew to ask that question because I had a sense it would it would get picked up. But, I, but the one thing I would add to that, too, is, like, if someone is really, like, there, there's a couple girls that come to mind mm. in the Rue continuum that are... Say their very, name. Say their name. No, Say their name. That are very eager to talk like that that really want that opportunity to sort of like have a more in-depth discussion and my I, I sort of hesitate sometimes because it's like I need to make sure that there's some story for me to tell about you like something that I can get from you and in the case of Akatya I felt really confident that like there were places we could go that weren't like the Katya norm Sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, who comes to mind for me is like Mariah Carey right now is someone I wouldn't want to interview right now 
because she's in a press cycle. She like her yeah. modality right now is to share information. And that for uh. me as a listener is inherently uninteresting. No disrespect to Miss Carrie, obviously. But it's just like I am way <laughs> no. more excited. So like I have Dita Ritz coming on the pod later this yes. season. And I am so excited about that interview because I'm like, that's someone who I know has something to say. And yeah. so that's sort of my, in terms of weighing the like who's doing who a favor of it all, I think what I ultimately like kind of come back to is it's just like, do we have a conversation to have that couldn't be had elsewhere? And if the answer is yes, unequivocally yes, then it's like, I want you on my show. Is that how you feel about our show, Meeple? <laughs> I feel like I'm doing you a favor, and um, <laughs> thank you all for being here for me. Um, what a wonderful day for all of you. Yeah, like that press cycle stuff. If there were 100, there could be 100 people, 100 people in the room. room. I just thought of that. I was like, that's why I, um, and people who listen to this who have asked to be on it, it's always when they're doing something. Of course. I'm just kind of like, yeah, it makes sense to have you on right now, but also like, I don't want to talk about that one thing that you're doing. I want to ask you if you fisted somebody. I want to like ask about your day-to-day life, but I don't want to hear about your quarantine life. And that's all anyone wants to talk about. <laughs> and now. that's the funny thing because it's like, if you talk about the thing that they want to talk about, you'll be just another outlet talking about the thing. Mm-hmm. But if you ask them the question about getting fisted, it will be exclusive to your podcast. It will be like within the, within like the talking points of the pod. Yeah. So it's like, one thing that I try and do now is like, I'm a Sarah Michelle Geller super fan. And so oh. when I have a guest on, I try and make sure I ask every guest about her. So like my favorite part of the Olivia Wilde interview is not us talking about Spider-Woman. It's the <laughs> opportunity to ask Olivia Wilde about Sarah Michelle Geller because exactly. it's like, that's something only my podcast is going to do. Whereas like the Spider-Woman quote is valuable in getting like a headline, but it's ultimately like, it doesn't really give it doesn't give any point of view as to who I am as an interviewer. Whereas like fisting Sarah Michelle Gellar, that's yes. got POV. Right. How many times have you done like the press junket circuits where you're like just sitting in a hotel room and they just come through one at a time or no, they push you through one at a time. How many of those have you done? And like, how awful is that experience? I've done a lot of them. They are awful. But the good thing is it's kind of like, it's all about those first couple seconds when you go in and the energy that you bring, because If you can kind of go in with an energy that's like, I know what's up, you know what's up. So together, let's get through this and let's do it with a little bit of zhuzh. It's like if you can sort of (laughs) buy them in those first few seconds and say like, I'm in on this too. This sucks. Let's have fun. It's like if you can get that, they actually aren't terrible. And the reality is it's like you get to be in the room with some fucking legends. I mean, I got to interview Jennifer Lawrence during Joy. Um, I never would have had. It was such a weird opportunity that I never would have had. And then this, the secret to that is like, you know, you got to ask all the boring questions like, oh my gosh, like, what was it like, you know, kissing, blah, blah, blah. But if you can get one <laughs> bizarre question, like one question for the fans, then you're solid. So it's like, go in there. You usually have four or five minutes. Give them four minutes and 30 seconds of like, tell me about what it was like working with Boba. And then at the very end, it's like, I read that you got fisted by blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, just go in there at the end and give them, go right for the job. So we're going to take a break in a second, but I am curious, when you do those interviews, do you say things like Jush and Boo Boo the Fool? Like, do they do those translate to the mainstream celebrities? That's a good question. I kind of just, my whole thing is like, I just try and be myself, and it's like, yeah. that's yeah. how I talk. So 
it, it, my thought process is like if they, if it doesn't translate, then we're probably not the right combo of mm-hmm. interviewer interviewee. Which I realize, like, well, you don't always have like that. Sometimes it just is what it is. Um, right. But I would say I'll always try and lean on my colloquialisms because if nothing else, I can rely on the fact that I'm air quotes young in most of these interviews, younger <laughs> than the subject. So if nothing right. else, they're just going to think that they're out of the loop on something and that I'm cool. So (laughs) I'd rather confuse them with like my lingo um, than sort of like go in there and just be really stoic. As you're walking out, they're like, they're like, Melissa, goo goo, (laughs) boo boo the fool. I want to know what that means. (laughs) I know someone who did an interview with Angelina Jolie like that and they just kept dropping like new phrases and terms. And when they left, she just, they could hear through the doors. She went, God, I love the gays. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I knew she was one of us. All right, let's take a quick break. Okay, we are back, Meeple. We're back. Speaking of the one question everyone needs the answer to, have you seen Wicked? Have I seen Wicked? I've seen Wicked 11 times. <gasps> okay, who was your favorite Alphaba? 11. Huh. Wait mm-hmm. a minute. 11? 11. All on Broadway? No, I saw the national tour a couple of times. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's such an interesting question. I can't really give you one. I could give you two. Shoshana um, Bean. I would say that my favorite Alphaba acting would be Stephanie J. Block. Okay. okay. And my favorite Alphaba vocally would be Shoshana Bean. Yeah! But, 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 going oh. back to the Nini leaks of it all, Alphaba would not exist if it weren't for Adina. So I do feel like Adina is the blueprint. She's Survivor season one. Like mm-hmm. she kind of, it's like the thing can't exist without her. Exactly. So I don't, it's like, it's it's like she can't really be taken into consideration when we do the ranking. Um, but those two really stand out for me. But like, I will say a lot of those, like, you know, cause now they're into like the 20 and 30 and 40th replacement and even mm-hmm. beyond that, <laughs> they have been a show that's been really consistently good at casting top notch vocalists. That's no shade. I don't, I don't know about the acting cause I haven't seen them all. I can listen yeah. to bootlegs. So, so many good ones, but best Glinda, <laughs> sorry you didn't ask, Megan Hilton. Oh, for sure. Oh. Wait, were you a Smash fan? No. Good, because really? I don't think anyone no. was a Smash fan, but I there was, was that one. Wait, you liked Smash? I did like Smash. I just I liked, like a musical number. You know I what liked I mean? Angelica Houston. Oh my God. Oh, she yes. was such a head producer. She was so powerful on that show. She, I feel like she I gave feel me like shared her, burlesque vibes. Yes, but I feel like her styling and her presence was so big on that show. But every scene she did, she was like, well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to figure that out. Like, it was all so, so tiny. But she would walk into a room with, like, shoulder pads hitting the walls in her styling. I don't know. Oh, wait. And now Anne Hathaway is going to be Angelica Houston's <gasps> role in The Witches. Thoughts on the trailer? Thoughts teaser? on the trailer. And then can you explain to me why we're not supposed to hate Anne Hathaway anymore and why we did hate her? <laughs> Complex. Um, thoughts <laughs> on the trailer would be I'm disappointed in Robert Zemeckis just because for people that don't know like this is the director of Death Becomes Her so like when we have conversations about like camp it's like this is a director who not only has like a foundational understanding of camp but like excels at the art form of camp Wow. so I'm disappointed just in, I'm like a big proponent of world building and I just feel like the aesthetic and the vibe that I gathered from the trailer felt 
extremely referential and not like creating its own world. And I think Mm -hmm. that like a remake only really can exist well if it's kind of taking, it's like borrowing a concept, but creating a world all of its own. Mm -hmm. This just feels, it just feels like such a remake. And I think also like when you're taking source material that's like on such a high caliber, that is so excellent. It's like, if we're going to redo this, my first question is, why are we redoing this? And that was right. not answered in the trailer. Well, I think it was. CGI. That's why they redid it. But they just, I like, liked the... I always <laughs> prefer a practical effect. Like, I always yeah, 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 prefer yeah, 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 yeah. that. We're gay. And especially like- in the time yeah. of now when you could, like, fix a, a, a messed up practical with a little bit of CGI. I'd rather that than a whole cat's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, I obviously will see it. I am one of those people. I don't have strong opinions about Anne Hathaway. I would say, like, on the continuum, like, I'm going more towards a favor than don't favor. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'd love to see her pop up on Drag Race sometime soon. Oh, Um, yes. Yeah. But, like, I... I was getting, like, when I watched that trailer, I was like, oh, Anne Hathaway is playing this character. And that immediately, it's like, I just... I found myself leaning back instead of leaning in and like, you know, we're supposed to lean in. We're supposed to lean in, baby. <laughs> Wait, can, did did the Chris Rock throw you at all? When I was listening to it, I was like, oh, it, Wait, do not, do why not. Why is he just doing stand up over this movie? I feel like, I don't know. That really threw me. I was like, why is, what was that choice? And like, I'm so excited at the idea of like Anne Hathaway being back with Stanley Tucci, but like, I don't know, after seeing that, I just couldn't muster excitement. And I must say, it's like, I see the argument that's like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. It's coming out on Showtime Plus or, or HBO Max or whatever. Right. But it's like, oh, we're there, we're getting it early. We're so lucky, girls. And it's like, yeah, but like, I'd rather <laughs> it be delayed until it can be in theaters. Like, I, like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna watch it on my phone while We're I take a shit. See, I'll watch it. I'll, use, I'll watch it with, and I'll watch Quibi at the same time. Mm. All right, we're gonna get into our final uh, segment, fuck talk. But we do have some pressing questions. You, I mean, are are. Oof. There's a ghost in the background. What happened? Someone walked by in the back. Oh, that's my mom. <laughs> that's. <laughs> She's just doing her gardening. Uh. <laughs> That's one acre uh, of property. She got a long walk. Yeah, she did. She took the bucket to the well. Um, you are like un, undeniably a, an, a a walking human encyclopedia of drag mm-hmm. race. Um, sort of to the point where like inherent in this entire conversation, you've referenced it. We've talked about it. You've used language from it. I want to know who are some of your underrated favorite queens and who are who do you think are sort of overrated eye roll queens that everyone celebrates? Okay. Receipts, Evan. Let's do it. Okay, so obviously I mentioned Dita and Trinity. Yes. Those two come to mind immediately. Um, Jessica Wilde comes to mind when we're oh. talking about underrated queens. Um, obviously Sonique comes to mind. I'm always like my sensibility and this kind of goes back to the survivor thing. I always just favor older seasons of any show. So it's like, uh, and I think the drag race, I always consider season six, like the moment it became the phenomenon. Like that Mm -hmm. was the beginning. And then I think there was like a turning point, you know, it continued. But so to me, anything (laughs) like seasons one through five, those girls always just sort of like captivate me. Um, 
And then there are ones that like, I don't think are kind of, even though that they're celebrated, I don't think they're given enough of their flowers. So like Alexis Mateo comes to mind as far as like, mm-hmm. yes, I know we all love Alexis, but I don't think Alexis is like given her due as far as like her breadth of talent. And right. there were just so many moments during All Stars 5 when she would come down with her runway look and I would just be like, gagged. And the, and the judges would be so middle about it. And so like, right. I just feel like Alexis is not sort of appreciated in the way that like, I think she gives us so much and fires on so many cylinders. So like those girls come to mind, but not to be a broken record, but just like Dita Ritz to me is drag (laughs) excellence. She is quite possibly my favorite queen to ever appear on the show. I love her so much. And I think it's criminal that she has not been invited back on this show because it just feels like a punishment to the audience. But when the day does come and like, let's put that energy out into the world. When she does come back, I'm excited to see her crowned. I know Dita from back in the day in Chicago. Like I met Dita before she went on Drag Race. We there's a video on my YouTube channel of Dita doing a cover of Beyonce's Ego with oh, Shake Away. I've seen out it. of drag. I directed that video. We Incredible. shot it in Dita's apartment, like one day with a couple strips of fabric in like her apartment that was literally like eight feet wide. We were in the bathroom, sitting on a toilet with the camera just to get enough depth to get a full body shot. Like. Oh. Oh, wow. I've known Dita from back in the day, and she, there's nothing like seeing Dita lip sync live in a club. Like, she is so good. And I think really underrated on season four were her talking head interviews. Yes, her talking heads were the best. She's so funny. If you guys want to see more of Dita, I think on uh, a YouTube channel called In My Homosexual Opinion, she has her own little sideshow. So you can go watch her there, and she's still so funny. It's so great. Now, I'm going to list off. I'm going to list off names of queens and you can um, either choose to not say anything or just make a look at the camera. This Mimi, is psycho. Mimi, I'm first. Um, I think that she's funny. Well, there is. If you go watch, there's a video of her at a roast that's very good. But I yeah, do. Like, yeah. she, she can write a joke. She can write a joke. And also, like, honestly, it's like I appreciate the fact that, like, she has obviously been the butt of this joke for many, many years and, like, is still hustling. So it's like. There are many other people that are like way more worthy of vitriol than her. It's like she got her comeuppance, yeah. so it's like she's fine. Serena Chacha. No thoughts. <laughs> no, Wait, I mean, let me I think just... of India Farah after her after All Stars Five. Okay, so huge fan of her going in and like my, one of my favorite uh, queens to see walk in the workroom again, just because I'm a girl that favors the early seasons. Super disappointed by like India falling into the trap of reality television mm-hmm. villainhood. Um, and it just left such a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm just really, really disappointed to see that unresolved arc, air quotes arc play out. So it left a bad taste in my mouth, but very, very talented. I'm going to interrupt Meatball's line of questioning and ask you this question, which is, do you have an example of someone who played the villain well and it didn't hurt them in the real world? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say Alaska during All-Stars 2 to an extent. Um, yes. That was definitely like, that was definitely like edging on on villain. Um, I mean, I guess one might say it's like Trixie was a bit of, had it's like was Trixie a villain on season three or was she just vilified because of the audience's love for Shangela? I guess that's a question. Yeah. But um, no, I mean I think we've definitely seen like you know Fifi comes to mind in terms of like having an off the show oh. arc that like allowed 
Like she had like what I think a lot of housewives have, which is like time away from the show made her like public opinion more favorable and also right. like, her just maturity as a human being. Um, but do you think that that happened when she went back on the show and then she got, she played the same thing? Certainly not. But I think in like, the, <laughs> I think in the ensuing years since I will say though, to her credit, it's like she was in her repeat season. She actually successfully gave like authentic villain. Whereas right. like, again, we're talking about, um, with season, uh, uh, the queen all stars. Um, who were no, you just talking about? India Farah. Um, oh, yes. Talking about like that inauthentic villain, like playing the role of, I didn't feel like Fifi was playing the role of the villain with All Stars 2. I think Fifi just was a villain and I love a villain, especially a villain who's not playing a villain. So, you know, respect to Fifi. Yeah, it, we, you know, because of working on Race Chaser with Wilma Alaska, I've, I've gone back and watched a lot of stuff. And I do, I feel like Raven never really played the villain or did villainous things. Yeah. But because of her aesthetic, her biting wit, her sort of like bitchy faces and attitude, whether in, in drag or not, she had villain vibes, but was a lovable villain. Yes. And sort of like... If you look at her her trajectory in the world, you know what I mean? You're like, you come in second on uh, uh, your season, you come in second or third again on All-Stars 1, but then you end up now, you paint the bitch that we all look at every single time we watch the show. Like, you're in the room she's where the it happens. She's her personal assistant Hamilton. now. Right, exactly. Yeah. I will say that, like, the, the queens that I always have like the most love for, like talent aside, um, and I'm not just shooting smoke up your ass because you work with her, but like Willem is someone who comes to mind as like just always being kind to me, like always. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm someone now by any measure, but like I can remember back in the day, back in the day, like Willem always giving me her time and everything. And that's an example of like the queens I tend to like really have the most regard for are the ones who just don't allow the fame and all of the the psychological package that is fame, all that comes with right. that, the baggage, um, that don't let them kind of like change who they are as people. And so like there are some queens who like, I'm not the biggest fan of like their drag, but I'm like such a huge fan of them as people and I'm, I'm so rooting for them. So uh, there's a lot of like, gradient in terms of like my favorability for a queen and as far as like, is it artistic output or is it just like, this is a good Judy? Mm, right. Mm. Well, listen, well, we could go on and on and I could, on, but I we think, didn't even you talk know. about the president. But I think it's time to move on to our next segment. Yeah, you mentioned psychological package. Let's talk about real packages. It's fatta. <laughs> you know that riff? That's wicked. You've heard it eleven times. Now we have a question for you. Since you, I, I mean, I was going through all your stuff, and you don't really seem to talk about um your personal life all that much. Get ready. No, I'm just kidding. You single? Um, No, I (gasps) have a partner who's in the other room right now. Um, I've been with my partner for two and a half years. He does drag. Um, Oh. Yeah, he's a a coding queen. So he teaches like coding lessons in drag. His name is Analytical. Um, Oh, that's so good. We met on Grindr uh, two and a half years ago. And uh, it was, you know, it was a match. That's, That's awesome. incredible. Also, I love when drag queens aren't just like, I'm a lip sync. They're like, I also have this other amazing talent. And I feel like now more than ever, it's time to start using them. So that's yeah. great. 
Yeah. Maybe I'll take a coding class. You know, and it's really interesting. I don't know a ton about that world, but like one of the things that I love about his like the uh the agenda of his drag, which is that like more we need more LGBTQ plus people in the world of coding mm-hmm. because so often yes. a lot of the issues in tech revolve if the lack of representation really starts in who is creating the technology and thus sort of boxing out people from um using said technology. So it's like if we really address this issue from the start and invite more queer people, LGBTQ plus people, I should say, into that side of things, it, it could really make a big effect. For instance, like when you're choosing your gender, um, on some on like Amazon or whatever have you, it's like that's all tech, that's coding. But if a cis straight man is creating that, he might not be thinking about you know options right. for variant genders. Yeah. So I think it's really important. That's, that's incredible. Awesome. It also reminds me of how kind kind from Canada. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Used to do like, math lessons or something. Sh- they're still doing it and they're like using them in actual math classes because she has an ability to break things down to like the, the easiest way to uh, take the information and in, in a TikTok. And I was like, okay, so we don't need teachers. We just need drag queens at the front totally. of the class. And in a world in which it's like, there's a lot of drag queens making a lot of drag on the internet right now. Uh-huh. It's nice to see queens that sort of are like giving you something different. And that's not, Spice or anything towards the queens that are giving the lip syncs and whatnot. No, Everyone's it's spicy. Making spicy. Very spicy. It's spicy. <laughs> but I think it's exciting to sort of see the potential for drag beyond sort of the formats in which we've so often been, become accustomed to seeing it. Right. So did you ever go to like um, sex parties in New York? <laughs> are you asking because you saw him at one? No, what I'm curious about is like you have this, like we've talked about encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture. New York is like a hub for like, you know, queer comedians and actors and drag queens and personalities. And, you know, I'm just thinking like you ever look over at a, you know, and you see someone famous. Are you I, that girl? Are you like a sex party? I have been to a sex party. Um, mm. And I will say, without naming names, I have never had an experience where I've looked over and seen someone that I have known, but I do know a friend of mine that saw a certain Rue girl getting plowed by a certain famous comedian. Yes! Meatball wants names, but it's not happening. I, I want names! We'll <laughs> edit it out. You know, you can tell me when we're done recording. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I um, know somebody who went to a Neil Patrick Harris sex party. Ooh. Ooh. Apparently the kids were in, the, in their room. So. <laughs> after, yeah, I was going to say, after the nanny put the kids down. Yeah, I was very concerned. All right, we'll wasn't edit there all this? Wasn't there all this um, drama? I know we have to stop, but we, it, it, wasn't it back in the day like Mark Jacobs used to like tr- like have sex oh, party, yeah. like invite a bunch of people on Grindr, and then he was like, everyone's being so crazy because I'm famous, and it's like, yeah, don't you know what world we live in? Like everyone is like thirsty for their 15 minutes. They're literally going to get on Twitter and be like, I just got fucked at Mark Jacobs' house. But it's also like Mark, I fucking love Mark Jacobs so much. And But like Mark was this behavior, and I'm not, that's said with zero judgment. This behavior was stuff that like Mark was just doing before the internet. Like yeah. Mark is someone who loves parties, loves sex, loves people, loves get togethers, loves a good time, etc. And so I think that there was that sort of like as, a world started to come into fashion where it's like people would pick up their phone and start taping things. That just wasn't something he knew. So as much as it's like, LOL, Mark Jacobs like uh, shared a nude on his phone backs and blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
there is an authentic like old man and he's not an old man but right. it's like there's an authentic old man quality about him which was just like no Mark Jacobs literally accidentally posted a nude or Mark Jacobs oh, yeah. literally didn't realize that people at his sex parties might like be taking footage and I find that quite quotidian me too the moment I, I read it. all that stuff I was like I love him even more even more I know a I good wish man. more celebrities would come out and talk about their sex parties or at least be more open about it because then maybe more people would start doing it we'd all have a good time yeah okay. like isn't Brian Singer an American hero right uh, oh <laughs> my he loves the pool party I heard there's always popsicles suckers <laughs> just anything phallic okay, so we cucumbers thank for you. lunch <laughs> We want to thank you, Evan, for being on the show. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to recommend to our listeners a book, an album, and a TV show to watch before we end. Okay, so the book would be I Am Not Myself These Days by Josh Kilmer Purcell. I feel like it's especially prescient to your listeners. It's just a fabulous, fabulous book about a drag queen who develops this, who has this love affair with this um, sex worker and the sort of Mm. ebb and flow of their love story. It's like so beautiful. And the prose is absolutely phenomenal. The album, let's do Christina Aguilera's Back to Basics. I feel like in the trajectory of her career, that album is so good and so often overlooked because Stripped came before it and Bionic came after it. Um, So I think it's just definitely like really worth a listen. And also we, we have a lot of conversations about appropriation these days amongst musicians and how many of them are stealing sounds. And I feel like Back to Basics is such a great example of appreciation and how often she sort of names the references. She is literally has an entire track where she just names all of her inspirations sonically. So I feel like Christina, specifically on that album, it's a great example of like how to love your heroes and celebrate them and honor their their contributions. And then the last one was television show. Yes. I mean, we got to go with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you haven't done it, now is a great time. I feel like there's really fun discourse that's constantly happening on the Twitter. And uh, especially for like any fashion lovers, if you love great acting, if you love great storytelling, and also like if you're looking for strong female leads, um, you know, it's all there. She was in a lot of designer clothes on that show, right? She was in a lot. It's funny you say that. I... Yeah, I want to eventually. So I interviewed Cynthia Bergstrom, who was the costume designer for seasons two through six. And like she was in Marnie. She was in Dries Van Noten. She was in Heider Ackerman. It's actually quite remarkable. She wasn't just wearing like fashion, like in a Chanel skirt. No, she was wearing like fashion. Um, And it's just one of those things that kind of doesn't get its like it's not given its reverence that it should. But like, yes, she is. She is giving looks she's serving looks but she's inventing looks and it, and it really like it cannot it cannot can no longer go understated so i'm glad we're talking about it i've never good. watched buffy but i think oh i will you go have to there's also a really good musical episode and on the other end of the spectrum there's an episode that is no sound whatsoever Absolutely. and it's so good whoa yeah they really fucked around they like really did try every genre like Mm -hmm. they did everything everything and i think it's interesting like sort of in contrast because we're talking so much about drag race and it's like uh, the formulaic nature of a show like drag race and i don't even mean in sort of like in terms of like the elimination and the proceedings of the show but also just in sort of like the tropes that arise over time i think on a show like buffy one thing i really love in contrast is as you're kind of pointing out meatball it's like this idea of like let's not rest on any one convention that people like let's get rid of characters that people like let's try new things let's put this show in different containers and sort of see how it 
gestates between them. And not like I'm saying I'm like sick of Drag Race, but I have to say like, you know, as we enter into season 13. 13. Yeah, I'm not the like- The quarantine season. Yeah, I'm not like rah, rah, like just what the doctor ordered, more of this. Um, not to say I'm not excited, <laughs> but with something like Buffy, I was excited every season to sort of be like, okay, what are we gonna, what are we gonna, what tricks are we gonna try this season? Mm. It's kind of like, okay, one last thing, sorry. But like Survivor, it integrates right. this thing called the hidden immunity <laughs> idol starting I think it's like I don't know like season 10 or something and oh, it's okay. like let's take the concept as we know it and like throw in this wrench and I really hope and wish that Drag Race will find some new way like new rule that comes into play that fundamentally alters the show because I think it just could use a little bit of a shake up it needs a judge okay well Evan thank you so much for being on the show uh, we feel very lucky to have had you with us and if you like what you heard, find Evan's podcast, which is called Shut Up Evan, and you can listen to it everywhere. And you can follow Evan at Evan Ross Katz everywhere, right? Yeah. And that's Katz, K-A-T-Z, like the deli, not like that's that right. movie. <laughs> no, not like that movie. <laughs> Although I don't know if I like really want to be associated with the deli anymore either. So it's like, well, let's like, is there like a cat? There's not really a famous Katz, is there? Not that I can- no. Yeah, just K-A-T-Z. You. You, you <laughs> Diva. It's you, Diva. All right, thanks for listening to Sloppy Seconds. You can follow us on Instagram at SloppyPod. Send us an email at SloppySecondsPod at gmail.com or call in with your fuck talk story. What's the number, Meepo? You can find us Meepo? on Insta... Oh, our number is 213-536-9180. And you can follow us on Instagram at Big Dipper Jelly and Spiciest Meatball, or you can follow me on Twitter at drag meatball and don't forget to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode which now come out every tuesday and friday and remember give us five stars and then drag us in the things <laughs> in the reviews but after a five star doodle doo forever dog to listen to sloppy seconds ad free sign up for forever dog plus at forever dog slash plus sloppy seconds is produced by forever dog and moguls of media Mom! Hosted by Big Dipper and Meatball. Mixed and mastered by William Pitt. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Our artwork is drawn by Christian Cimarroni. And our theme song was written by Mike Malarkey.